Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr Andrew Corbett. I surrender all. That's what living clay yielded to the potter says. Don't you love the way a potter takes a lump of clay and gently moulds it into something useful or something beautiful and if it doesn't work, well, he just reforms the lump and begins again. In the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, God, the potter, is asking Judah to be like clay. Let's join Dr. Corbett now for a look at the potter's wheel. Jeremiah chapter 18, we're going to be looking at the first 17 verses. We, we will skip over some of them. Jeremiah, uh, this is following on the heels from his own complaining. So uh, as we look at this, Yes, God is giving Jeremiah a message for the nation. But I wonder whether God is not giving Jeremiah a message for him. And I wonder if Jeremiah understood that in all his complaining, I don't like what you're doing in my life, God. I'm not happy that these people not only reject me, but they plot and scheme against me. And I'm not happy about this, God. And now God takes Jeremiah and we read in this section, which we might call the potter's wheel. The potter's wheel was initially a, a flat disc of a stone. It, was, it, it had a hole bored through it and it had a piece of wood rammed through it and, and it then went to another larger round piece of stone and then that sat on some, some finer, smoother stones which sat on another stone and the potter could kick it around. And as he kicked it around, the top stone would move. Eventually that top stone was replaced with wood and very similar to what we, we kind of have today. But that's the potter's wheel. It was, it was that mechanism. And there are, there are ancient Egyptian um, wall drawings and so on where they show the Egyptians kind of doing this underneath and the clay being worked. All right, so this is Jeremiah being told to go down to, interestingly, the potter's house. We're not told who the potter is, but everybody apparently knew who the potter was. He's not a potter, he's the potter. So there's some, some of the background of what we're about to read. So let's pick it up in uh, Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 1 and 2. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. Verse 3. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. How would a potter work clay? Firstly, the clay would be stomped, tread upon. The, 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 the clay would, would have water, and uh, be moistened, be, be really wet. And then a whole bunch of guys, usually who didn't finish high school, let this be a lesson to you, would, would have to, this would be their job. They would be squelching it with their toes and that would be their job all day. Clock on, squelch. Five o'clock, clock off. See what happens if you don't finish high school. That's all I'm saying. You need to get, you need to go up. Anyway, so this would be, the clay would be mashed and squelched and it would be stomped. Now, for those of you who are already running ahead, I want you to kind of see something here that God says, we are clay. And when he picks you, you may feel like, hang on, this Christianity deal, no one told me there'd be any stomping involved. Well, <laughs> we're not over yet. 
It says in Isaiah 41.25, God actually it refers to this, the prophet Isaiah referred to this, I stirred up one from the north and he has come from the rising of the sun, he shall call upon my name. He shall trample on rulers as on mortar, as the potter treads clay. So there's a, a treading. Then the clay is moistened. There's a, there's a, a moisture. It has the, the, because clay doesn't really absorb water, it kind of mixes with water, it, it dries out readily. So it needs to be moistened. The clay would be watered. Who knows biblically what water is? The water of God's word. And so when you come to Christ, it may feel like you've been tread upon. It may feel like you've been brought into submission, and it should. And then the next thing that's going to happen is the word of God is going to get poured into your life. Then, from there, these guys would probably bring it in some kind of wheelbarrows. Then the potter would take it with his hands. And so the third thing that would happen to this clay is the clay is handled. And if you give your life to Christ, if you are someone who has given your life to Christ, you know that at some point when God gets his hands on you, it becomes terribly uncomfortable because, after all, you kind of get used to the mud. This is cool being a part of the mud. We don't have to wash up. We don't have to get dressed up. We don't have to say anything, do anything proper. We can just be mud. And now suddenly you're away from the mud. God's handling you. His hands are all over you. And then that mud, that clay gets on this top wheel and he starts to spin it. So the clay begins to spin. Ever felt your world being spun? And it's interesting, this whole process is as the clay is being spun, the, the, the potter's hands are simply getting it so that it, there is some new shape. So it's just a blur lump. Now the potter is putting water on it. He'll use a sponge just to keep the, the thing moist. And he's shaping this thing much like an upside down Christmas pudding or a, a right way up Christmas pudding, depending on which way you eat. Um, so, so, there, so, so the hands are all over it. And he's doing this so that he can centre the clay. How does he centre the clay? As it's spinning around, his hands are shaping it, his thumbs begin to come on top and he just puts a little, little impression and then he puts his sponge and as it's spinning with that little slight indentation at the top, he'll squeeze just a few drops of water on it. And what will happen is in that little indentation, he'll see where the water sits and that's the centre. He figures out that's the middle. And once he finds out where that thing is now balanced, he drives his thumbs in. And that's called hollowing. So he hollows the clay. You ever felt like you're under the thumb? Give your life to Jesus. I'm not talking about marriage. Come on, come on, back. Back with me. This is your walk with Christ. And, and as the thumbs are hollowing out, the, the potter continues to do it. Now, it's interesting because what, what now happens is he's almost completely indifferent to what's happening on the outside. All of his attention is now given to the inside. Isn't that interesting? We are so the other way around, aren't we? We want to have the outward appearance. We want people to 
look at us and see the outward and form opinions about us. But God is just working on the inside. This is very interesting because as he hollows it out, he's not pushing it, he's lifting it. Lifting it. And this lump of clay goes from this to this beautifully round thing, centred, as he's hollowing this out and working just on the inside. You'll get to the outside in a moment. This whole bit of clay seems to be stretched. Stretched. Anyone been walking with Jesus and felt stretched? If you do, probably the potter has got his hands all over your life. As he stretches it and he brings it up, he develops a lip around the top. And we're about to make a jug, by the way, if you couldn't tell. He makes that lip. And then he does a very strange thing. As it's, as it's spinning, he slows it right down. Right down. And he squeezes the top. So that perfectly round top we've gone from here, round, he squeezes it to a neck. And then slows it right down, brings that wheel to a stop. And takes that round neck and squeezes it in. And takes his thumb and pushes it out. We've now got a spout. We've now got a, a pourer, a, a pourer, to use the technical term, a pourer. And <clears throat> I've got no idea what the term is. But Then the wheel starts to spin slowly. As it's spinning slowly, he now looks at the outside. As he looks at the outside, he'll take his sponge and he'll moisten those bits that have gone dry. As he does that, he'll, he'll, the potter will then go, let's put some texture to this. And every pot will have unique, every vessel, every jug will have unique texture. And he'll begin to beautify it. Of course, I'm sure the pot doesn't think that's what's happening. Of course, as he's doing this, the problem is you've got to keep the whole thing in a consistent moisture. So the potter takes his sponge and he squeezes into the jug as it's just slowly, slowly turning so that there's a, a thing of water just in the bottom up just to keep it moist and it just keeps the inside of it moist as well but not too much, just enough so that when the potter looks over it he can see his reflection. The image of Christ is being formed in us. He wants to see himself reflected in us he'll sometimes take a a stick or a, a broken piece of pottery and as it's turning he'll put shapes in it so it ends up with a a beautiful decoration on the outside when that's done he'll glaze it and when it's when it's lightly glazed it goes into a kiln at a very low temperature, very low. Because if it's too hot, the pot will crack. It's low enough to make sure that any little bits of air bubbles in it go. And it becomes hard. Anyone felt their lives becoming hard? And you think, I used to be so soft. I used to feel like I was basking in the moisture and the, the water of God's word. I used to splash in it. I, 
I used to feel his presence dripping all over me. Now it's a bit hot. And there's a slow heat. And that would last usually about 24 hours. And after the 24 hours, when you think, whew, that was hot, he will then put you into the kiln where the temperature is intense. And you'll be in there for a few hours so that that glaze can become hard. The interesting thing about glaze, like paint, it looks beautiful when it's wet. You know when you paint something, paint your house, Brother Tom, you'd appreciate this. You paint a house, you stand back, you probably do this all the time, you go, gee, I've done an awesome job. That looks brilliant. Come back in 15 years and how does it look? Not too brilliant. But wet paint is not going to keep off bird poo or rain. It's not until that paint dries and hardens that it becomes of use. In the same way, a pot is of no use until it's been dried and hardened. Just remember that in your journey with the Lord. The potter will use through the process two things. In fact, sand, sand could be, he could take just a small handful of sand and just rough the outside of that's the effect he wants, just to dry it out very deliberately, just to rough it. He could also use water as he's making it. And doesn't God do that to us? There are some of us that are just too wet. We're too sloppy. And God wants to harden us up. And there are some of us that are too dry. And God wants to renew you in his spirit. The water of his word ministered to you through the water that Jesus spoke of in John chapter 7. Out of you shall flow rivers of living water. This he spoke of the Holy Spirit. So, that's how a potter, that's what Jeremiah would have seen. That's what he would have seen. We come to verse 4. And the vessel, of, the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. And he reworked it into another vessel and it seemed good to the potter to do this. So the potter's working away, working away and goes, no, this is just not working. So the potter goes, it's called marring the clay. The potter would mar the clay. Why would the potter mar the clay? Because the clay is not cooperating. He's trying to make a teapot or whatever he's trying to make and the clay is just not doing what it's told. So he mashes it. And that's what Jeremiah would have seen. And he starts again. And this is, you know, I hope the, the analogy here is, as it would have been, I hope, to Jeremiah, I'm sure it was, is clear to us too. We are like clay before God the potter. Verses 5 and 6, And the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as the potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. This is where we get this word, the sovereignty of God. God is saying, hey, you don't talk to me like that. You don't tell me what I should do, can do, will do in your life. I'm the potter. I'm the potter. Don't talk to me like that. This is what we call God's sovereignty. Now, it's interesting because this is emphasised all through Scripture. It's the word Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. I am God. I will do what I do. 
Lord. God is sovereign. But here's an interesting phenomenon. All through scripture, this doctrine that God is sovereign is easily the most resisted doctrine in the whole of the Bible. Who wants God telling them what to do? Romans 11, 28. And we know, sorry, 8, 28. If you haven't got this mind memorized, if you, if you remember no other verse in the Bible, please remember this one. Because when you become a yielded lump of clay to God, you're going to see God differently. You're going to see God's hands coming upon you as the hands of an artist. If you are unyielded clay, you're going to see the hands of God coming upon you as an angry, fierce person who hates you. The only difference is your perspective. You are going to see God deal with other pieces of clay and you're going to go, oh, he's a cruel, vindictive God. Look at that. He mashed that person good. Without realising, no, he was shaping that person, moulding that person. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, that should be our perspective. We know that whatever God does, he can only do good, even when he disciplines. He can only do good. And this is what God is saying. We, come, we, we can look at the following verses. I'll just read them. Verse 7. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck it up and break it down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I've spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster I intended to do it. How many times do we look at these people who experienced instantaneous death or judgment of God and we go, wow, that was harsh, that was brutal, that was, that was unmerciful. How do you know? How do you know? How do you know that was not the 100th time that person shook their fist at God? How do you know? How do you know that that person who did that didn't lead 10,000 others also into rebellion? And if God let that go on, it could have gone to a million. How do you know? God always and only does what is good. And if that nation turns, God will show them mercy. That's a principle all through scripture. Verse 9, and if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build it and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I intended to do it. And I guess that means Israel. I guess this is addressed to Israel. So now we come to verse 11. Now, therefore, say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord, behold, I am shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. Return. Another word for that, repent. Every one of you from his evil way and amend your ways and your deeds. What's unfair about God asking for that? What's unfair about God asking people to stop mistreating others? to be faithful to their wives, to stop throwing their little babies in fire in the name of pagan worship. What's cruel about that? Nothing. Nothing's cruel about that. But you know, Israel's heart, as we'll see in verse 12 here, it says, but they say, that is in vain. In other words, that's pointless. Why should we serve God? Why should we do what the Bible says? That's pointless. We will follow our own plans and will everyone act according to his own, to, to, to the stubbornness of his own evil heart. Wow. 
when our hearts resist the potter, our vision of God is distorted. Does God have the right to judge? He absolutely does. Does he need to explain to us why he's doing it? No, I don't think so. The fact that he does most of the time is amazing. But do you know that he only does what is good? Do you realise that? He only does what is good. And notice this. It it, it says here um, that they turn turn their back. Let's go down to verse 13. Therefore thus says the Lord, Ask among the nations who has heard the like of this. The virgin Israel has done a very horrible thing. And if you've got the the message Bible, you should read how Eugene Peterson translates that. Umba carumba. Does the snow, I wouldn't let my children use language like that. Does the snow of Lebanon leave the crags of Syrian? Do the mountain waters run dry? The cold flowing streams. The point there is Lebanon actually means snow-covered mountains. That's what it means. That's what Lebanon means, snow-covered mountains. And, and that snow-covered mountain right on the edge of the desert was always melting and flowing into the desert. There was always water there. There was always water there. In other words, this, this, this is the way it's supposed to be. My people are supposed to worship me, God is saying. Verse 15, but my people have forgotten me. They make offerings to false gods. They made them stumble in their ways in the ancient roads and to walk in the side roads, not the highway. Verse 16, making their land a horror, a thing to be hissed at forever. Everyone who passes by it is horrified and shakes his head. Verse 17, like the east wind, I will scatter them before the enemy. That's a particular biblical expression as well. I will show them my back, not my face, in the day of their calamity. Now, here's here's the thing. When people turn, they're looking at God. I shake my fist at you, God. How dare you tell me what to do? I will not let you, the potter, shake my life on you. I'm turning my back on you. And there's God's face. They're turning their back. Suddenly, as they turn their back on God, they are now looking at God still, but not at his face. They're now looking at his back. It's an amazing... I will sh- they turn their back on me and I will show them my back. It's as if, who's in control here? You, the clay, think you're turning your back on me and suddenly there I am and you've just turned to see my back. Wow. When you turn your back on the potter, you can now only see his back. And if you never got to see someone's face, chances are you would never get to really know them. You'd never really understand who they are. And I find this a challenge. I want to look into the face of God. Spiritually, I want my face set on his face. I want my life yielded like that. Living clay that resists the potter. Just stop touching me. Ew! The potter goes, all right, let's start again. <laughs> let's try that again. Clay that is yielded. Clay that says, potter, have your way. Have your way. How many of us realise we sang a potter song this morning? I surrender nearly almost some. There's a little asterisk many of us sing. Conditions apply. 
when convenient, if I like it, if I agree. I surrender all. (laughs) Do we? I surrender all. That's what living clay yielded to the potter says. And when that's your experience, suddenly the hands of the potter on you are not angry hands. They are crafting hands. They are hands that beautify. They are hands that lift. They are hands that stretch. They are hands that make beautiful. They are hands that take a lump of clay and make it into an earthen vessel. And the Apostle Paul says we are to be earthen vessels before the Lord that he can pour his water into and that we can pour water out to the world. I want to be that kind of vessel. I want to be yielded to him like that. When you return to the potter, you experience his touch differently. So here's my question. I wonder if God asked Jeremiah this question. Are you yielded? Are you yielded to or are you resisting the potter? You can tell by how you pray. How often do you pray? God, please have your way in my life. Please. I have to add little clauses to that prayer because of just where my heart's at. God, have your way in my life. Even when I don't like it. Even when I don't want you to. Even when it's not comfortable. Even when I don't understand. Have your way in my life. Let's pray. Father, I pray that prayer. I don't just preach that prayer. I pray, have your way in my life. Lord God, I want to experience your hands on my life. I want to be shaped. I want to be molded. I want to be changed into that vessel that I am not yet what I will be. Please, Lord, help me to go through the potter's hands. Help me to go through the potter's process. And I pray, Father, for every person here, that a prayer would arise from their heart that says, Oh God, have your way in my life. Do in me what you want. And if that's you, and you know that you have never yet yielded your life, you have been resisting the potter. You've never given your life to Christ. You've never been, as the word of God says, born again. You've never taken that, that rebellious nature and put it to death and said, God, I'm tired of living that way. I now want to live a new way. I want to live for you. You are one prayer away from peace with God. One prayer away. A prayer that says, God, I surrender. Please have your way in my life. I need you. You pray a prayer like that, your life can be transformed, not just today, not just for the rest of your life, but for all eternity. Now, Lord, I pray for us, the church, that we will be yielded to you. Have your way in us and help me as pastor of this church to demonstrate that, to lead by example, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you brave enough to submit to the skill of the potter's hand? Only you can respond. 
podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, The Potter's Wheel, are available via the website findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.